three scenes in the life of a Trotskyist. Scene three, years of the great break. Lev sits at his desk, a very nice desk in a very nice office. The Upper West Side, April 23rd, 1980. Behind him, shelves lined with books. In contrast to the office of the last scene, this one is meticulously organized. Books in neat rows on tall bookshelves, lots of space and air and light. Lev is writing something on a yellow legal pad. A knock at the door. He runs to open it. It's Daniel. Daniel! Lev! They embrace, somewhat, but not painfully, awkwardly. My god, you look well! Me? You flatter me. You, though, you look... You look like you're doing very well indeed. What, you mean the office? I guess that's what this is. Oh, stop. No, really, a penthouse looking over Central Park isn't what most people picture when they hear the word office. It's not a penthouse. Did you ever go to the old New Republic? Back in the Cowley days? No. It was an actual mansion with servants. They served lunch every day at one o'clock. I'd submit articles just for the tuna melt. May I? What? The view? Oh, yes, of course. Daniel crosses to the window. You could see the ball fields. How much time do you lose every day looking out this window? Not much. You get used to it. You get used to anything. Sure. You know, my mother never set foot in Central Park. Lived in Brooklyn 65 years. She thought they didn't allow Jews. I'd say, Ma, it's a public park. It's for everyone. She'd say, I know they don't want us there. Another world, another... <sighs> he turns away from the window, faces Lev. Really, though? You look well. Did you recognize me? At the reading? Oh, yes, instantly. Your first book. <sighs> yes, at 57. Most people never publish a book. Most people aren't writers. Most writers never publish a book. And a bestseller. You should be proud. You never put much stock in that sort of thing. Sales, numbers... You're right. What I should have said was a great book. Oh, Lev. Oh, I mean it. I really do. You wrote the book we've all been waiting for. Would you sign my copy? Uh, now, really, Lev, that's too much. I, I feel you're condescending to me. Not a bit. Of course, other people from our generation wrote memoirs, but yours is the first to really capture that time. Another world, like you said. All gone now. All right. Yeah? Yes, fine. Give it here. Lev hands him his copy. Do you... He hands him a pen. Ah! <laughs> Heavy. He signs it. There. To an old friend. Thank you. You must be very proud. Surprised more than proud. I didn't even write it with an eye towards publishing. You know, I've been teaching for 20 years. Where again? Erasmus, if you can believe it. No! Yes, my old alma mater and my grandkids. You have grandkids? Yes, little, little. You? No. Well, so my oldest, Lydia, she was three at the time. She started asking questions, you know, about my life. She's very interested in other people, which, if you know, three-year-olds. Right. And so, anyway, I started thinking... What if I have a heart attack? It doesn't seem likely. Like I said, you look... Well, what if I get hit by a bus? Uh, I get stabbed by a mugger. The point is, anything could happen to anyone. And if that happened, what would my grandchildren have of me? A few articles in Menorah Journal, now 25 years old? 
more than a few. Still, I wanted something to give them a sense of me, of my background, which is not coincidentally their background. And I realized to tell them about me, I had to tell them about my parents. The Kishinev pogrom, their parents, my grandfather, a very important rabbi. I got so enthralled in archival research that I ended up writing a far longer book than the slim memoir I had originally planned. An epic. It seemed to have that feel, yes. One reviewer called it the Jewish roots. I thought that was a bit much. Not too much. What? Lev, this is strange. You know it's strange, don't you? A bit, perhaps. We haven't spoken in almost 20 years. Has it really been? Yes, since my first retirement. Your first? Yes, first from writing, then from teaching. Now I guess I'm writing again. Retirement has been great for my productivity. Have you considered it? Retirement? No. Well, well, I hadn't. But we were friends for 20 years or more, the best 20 years of my life looking back. When I read your book, it was like in Proust. It all came flooding back. That whole 30s moment. Those midnight cafeteria bull sessions, the early days of the magazines, patching together a living with book reviews and WPA jobs. My God, you write vividly. Thank you. We were the vanguard then, weren't we? <laughs> we certainly thought so. No, give us credit. We were. We set the tone for the whole country. Those little magazines, Menorah, Partisan Review, Descent. You missed an issue at your peril. We were essential. Maybe in a small community. I remember when the review did a reader survey. We found we had something like three factory workers and one farmer among our readership. And this was a magazine devoted to the proletariat. I think we eventually published most of our subscribers. Still, it felt like we were onto something. Keeping Marxism alive. Keeping modernism relevant. It was a crusade back then. Lev, what's gotten into you? What do you mean? This nostalgic reverie. It isn't like you. Well, your book. No, that isn't it. Isn't all of it. There must be something else. On the back cover of your book, there's that photo of you with five or six other members of the CCCP. A little club. I didn't know you still saw each other. We don't. Not really. I'll see one or the other every couple of months. That was a stunt my publicist cooked up. Where are they now? And I wasn't in it. No, Liv. We didn't think you'd be interested. Why not? Because. Because you changed, Lev. Slowly at first, almost imperceptibly, but then suddenly, all at once, faster than I could keep up. This magazine you have, the flagship publication of the contemporary right. They say Reagan reads it between campaign stops. Nancy reads it to him. Well, either way, we didn't think you'd want to be associated with a book like this. A book that is unashamed of where we come from. What's that supposed to mean? I am very proud of my heritage. I'm not accusing you of that. Everyone knows you're Jewish. I mean City College, the Socialist Workers' Party, rent strikes, the rent parties, rallies, and protests, and letters to Trotsky. Surely Reagan wouldn't want to read about that. No, that's where you're wrong. The right doesn't value me despite my useful radicalism because of it. Because I understand the left from the inside. I understand their methods, their passions, most of all their vulnerabilities. Huh. What? 
That's what you think you're doing. Of course. Why? Because your treatment of Marxism is often embarrassingly shallow. That whole fiasco with the student activists. You must be the only tenured faculty ever fired for refusing to give a kid an extension. Not fired. I quit. Well, either way, the abuse you rained down on them, calling them Stalinist thugs, when what they really were were kids. Daniel, you weren't there. They waved copies of the Little Red Book in my face. They barged into my class and shouted slogans over my lectures. And it's not just the students, not just the radicals. I complained to my shop steward, and he said, Well, Lev, revolutions are messy. Can you believe that? Revolutions! But of course, this is de rigueur now. Across the entire progressive movement, they really think there's still some, some salvageable core in the, the, the communist idea. And so when China happened, they all thought, maybe this time will be different. And then 30 million people died in the great leap forward. But maybe Cuba. Prison camps filled with dissidents. Now they're doing the same thing with Nicaragua, never once stopping to think, maybe the problem with communism is communism. So that's your argument? The Democrats are soft on communism? That's your great insight? It's more than that. It's that the progressive movement is still essentially Stalinist. That's absurd. No, it isn't. But Stalin killed several million people. Yes, in service of an ideology that is still alive and well in liberal America. It's still completely respectable for liberal college professors to sing along at Pete Seeger concerts, despite the fact that he is still, in 1980, a party member. So? Would you go see a Nazi folk singer? Of course not. But you'd see Pete Seeger? Sure. Because? Because... What are you saying? Because I like his music. I agree with his message. The party's always been good on cultural issues. Liberals listen to Pete Seeger because there's a genuine commonality of values between liberals and communists. Yes! Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. No! It is not what you're saying. You're saying the liberals are Stalinists. And you're saying the Stalinists are liberals. No, I'm... What I'm saying is, look, many good progressives have been duped by the Communist Party. Duped? Yes, duped. Brought into the fold because of labor or civil rights or anti-imperialism. Good causes. And they did good work under the party for those causes. I don't think that makes them complicit in... Well, in the Great Leap Forward, in the purges. You don't? No. What would then? What would make them complicit? Why did some of the best minds of the 20th century fail to understand what we understood in 1939? The will to power. You want to understand the appeal of communism? Don't read Marx, read Nietzsche. The goal of the Stalinists was never social justice. It was power, control. That's the point of the bureaucracy. Not justice, power, here and in the Soviet Union. Wait, you think... I'm sorry, this is so insane. I'm having a hard time following you. You think, what, the EPA is Stalinist? Sure. Yes, the whole regulatory framework. This is page one Trotsky. This is Lenin on his deathbed. Fuck, this is Kafka's great theme. Bureaucracy... Any bureaucracy eventually comes to exist solely to perpetuate its own existence. You know what you remind me of? What? A man who's had rats. Rats? Yes. 
You once had a nasty problem with rats in your apartment, crawling behind your fridge, scratching in the walls, shitting under your coffee table. And so now, even though there are in fact no rats in your apartment and haven't been for years, every time you see some little movement out of the corner of your eye, every time a branch waving outside your window casts a shadow across the floor, you think, rats! Only instead of rats, it's Stalinism. Give me more credit than that. A kid asked for an extension, and that's Stalinism? The EPA? Political correctness? That's Stalinism? Daniel, we must be vigilant. That's the lesson of the past 50 years. It begins with good intentions. It ends in the gulag. Or in the welfare state. The weekend. The Civil Rights Act. Oh, please. No. I won't let you define the left solely by its failures. It's dishonest and it's lazy. What's wrong with your anti-Stalinism is the same thing wrong with the Soviet Union's Marxism. Instead of being a supple, flexible tool for navigating the world, it's become a hammer and made everything else into a nail. To use your argument, my anti-Stalinism didn't kill several million people. Didn't it? What about Vietnam? You never spoke out publicly against the war, but you spoke out plenty against the anti-war left. You wrote your cutting little articles about their foibles and hypocrisy, their cause of the weak mentality, their social climbing. And there was that. There was certainly a bit of that. But there was also a very sincere attempt at what Trotsky would call proletarian internationalism. The attempt to reach across vast distances of space, of language, of culture, of history, and say, you too are my brother, and I will fight for you. I found it incredibly moving. You found it laughable. Lev, why am I here? Look, I'm sorry. I can't help it. I'm an arguer. It's my vocation. No, I know. I remember. But really, why am I here? Can a man call up an old friend just to talk? Sure. Someone could, not you. Why is that? Lev, it's been 20 years. What were we supposed to talk about? Brooklyn in the 30s? Banging out dents in tin pans for a penny? The peach peddlers. The seltzer man. <laughs> we could have talked about that. <laughs> sure. For a while. But you can't build a friendship on nostalgia. You know what nostalgia means in Greek? Homesickness. That's right. Is that what this is? You're homesick? No, Daniel. It isn't. Then why? You couldn't have thought I'd write for your magazine. You know my politics. I thought you might write my biography. You're... I'm dying. I'm dying, Daniel. Oh. What? Liver cancer. Too much whiskey, too many cigarettes, too many booze-fueled all-night marathons trying to meet a deadline. Too much stress, or just dumb bad luck. Easy to name risk factors in a general way, but hard to pin it down in a particular case. Even when it's yours. Maybe you could have lived differently and lived 20 years longer, or maybe... You're dying? Yes. Three months, tops. My God, Lev. If I'd have known, I would have... Would have pulled punches and defeated the point of this entire exercise. The... I needed to hear you fight for what you believe. 
I needed to know you still took me seriously. Yes, I'm a conservative. I make Reagan look like the, the New Deal pinko he secretly is. But I needed to know you'd still try to convince me. Huh. I'd give you all my papers, drafts of all my books. I'd give you letters of introduction to anyone you'd want to talk to. And obviously, I wouldn't have final say over anything you write, because in all likelihood... I'll be dead before you finish the first chapter. Fuck, Lev. Fuck. Why me? Because of the book. It's simply the best memoir written by anyone in our generation. I really meant that. The ones by the conservatives are especially terrible. Now, how'd you go from the Trotskyist left to the Reaganite right? I got smart. I saw the light. About as insightful as a block of cheese... It's all there in the papers, in the books, the whole story. Just waiting for someone worthy of telling it. But I'm not sure I am. I mean, look, I've been a school teacher for 20 years. I haven't been keeping up. I read the nation. That's it. You were there in the beginning. The child is the father of the man. Everything I've become was there from the start. No, it wasn't. You were a radical. I still am a radical anti-Stalinist. That's your theory, isn't it? I didn't mean... And sure, you'll refine it as you go, but... I haven't agreed to write it. But you will. Right? It's the last wish of a dying man. Lev, this project would take years. You do realize that. Of course. And I'm not young, either. You're not dying. That I know of. So go. Get a checkup. Then come back, but come back fast. But look, I don't... I don't... I don't understand. Yes, you were anti-Stalin. I was too. I ended up a social democrat, not a neocon. You say I could talk to whomever I want. I wouldn't know where to start. Start at the beginning. 1939, when we first met. Of course, that's the other reason you always admired me. I did. Even years later, you'd send me drafts of all of your articles. I never knew anyone who cared so much about what I thought, what I felt, what I believed. Well, isn't that who you'd want for a biographer? But what about the second half of the story? Sure, we were friends. But then we weren't. And we weren't for as long a time as we were. Whatever happened to us? I seem to remember... Did we fight? Not in person. I think we had a back and forth in Partisan Review about something. A book, I can't remember, but not a fight. So then really, I mean, I don't remember. What happened? Nothing happened. I stopped running in your milieu. But I did call. I did reach out. I don't remember that. Well, I did. Many times. Daniel, I'm sorry. No need to be sorry. You didn't call back. Why should you? You were going to parties with Susan Sontag and Elizabeth Hardwick. Why should you take time out of your day for a school teacher from Flatbush? I never thought of you that way. Why shouldn't you? It's what I was. There's no shame in it. It's a useful job with a good union. But there was a difference between us. Sure, I saw you a few times after that. Maybe it's my fault. I did see you at a few parties, but... Once people started to realize that I hadn't published in a while because I wasn't trying to publish, 
while the invitations stopped coming. Sure, I could write my memoirs of our time together, but what you're talking about, a real biography, I just don't know your world. My world, of course you do. It's your world, too. Ah, you forget. The longest journey in the world is the subway from Brooklyn to Manhattan. So what are you saying? I'm saying maybe that's it. Why you ended up who you are and I stayed who I am. It's not some big mystery. It's right there in Marx. It is not the consciousness of men that determines their being, but, on the contrary, their social being that determines their consciousness. You don't believe in that deterministic nonsense. Don't I? You've done very well in the world, and it's hard to stay a leftist once you've found success. It's easy to think the system is fair, that it rewards talented people who work hard, because that's what you did, isn't it? And if the system is fair, then anyone who fails to succeed in the system must be deficient. And if that's true of individuals, why not whole groups? And so it's not actually a very great leap to go from a belief in the fundamental fairness of the system to a belief in the fundamental deficiency of black people or Mexicans, women, anyone who as a group has failed to thrive under capitalism. So fuck Head Start. Fuck Medicaid. Fuck welfare for single mothers with three kids. They're just going to waste it anyway. The whole reactionary agenda. It all flows pretty easily from a fundamental belief that the system works. Well, I do. I do think it works, not that it's easy. Marx was certainly right when he said life under capitalism was a struggle, the war of each against all. Where he went wrong was thinking it shouldn't be. It's Darwin, survival of the fittest. It's Isaac wrestling with God. He'll kick your ass, but he'll give you a blessing. But that's God, not capitalism. Capitalism isn't just. It isn't loving. It's the sum total of the beliefs and actions of 200 million Americans with all their prejudices and biases and weird petty hatreds. And so no wonder some people make it and some people don't. And when they don't, they really don't. You can see it on any street in the city. People just torn up, shredded, emptied, fucked by capitalism. Come out to Flatbush, I'll show you. Here's where someone was murdered. Here's where someone overdosed in broad fucking daylight. Here's where I got mugged walking to work. But you continue to entertain the illusion that politics is a game? A spectator sport even? Where we aren't really involved? When what it really is, is life and fucking death. Jeez, oh, Lev. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. Oh, no. You're entitled to your opinion. That's not... Please, I didn't mean... You forget this office? This spectacular fucking view? They give me nothing. They add not one second to my life. You think my life has been so painless? Well, I assure you, it has not. Of course. But thank you. For your candor. I'm sorry, Lev. Really. I wish I could help. Nah. Forget it. Say something nice at my funeral. I'd like to get lunch sometime, if you're feeling up to it. Yeah, sure. I'd like that. Take care. Take care. Daniel exits. Lev goes to his window, looks out at the park. He sits back at his desk, takes out a legal pad, and tries to write. He looks up at the ceiling with tears in his eyes. 
He looks down. A long pause. Sean, a young conservative intern at the magazine, tentatively enters. Lev brushes away his tears, straightens up. Sir? Please, call me Lev. Or Dr. Trachtenberg. Sir, I'm not a sir. Alright, sir. I mean, Dr. Trachtenberg, sorry. Would it make you feel more comfortable calling me sir? Yes, it would. The schools I went to, it was either that or father. Father? Yes, sir. I'm a Catholic. I could have sworn you were a Jew. My last name is O'Brien, sir. Right. You didn't know that. No. Do you know my first name? It's not important. I wanted to talk to you about my article. Yes. What is it on again? It's on the Polish trade union movement. Is trade unions in Poland? Yes, sir. Independent of the Communist Party, one of their activists was fired, denied retirement benefits. In retaliation, her union went on strike. They shut down the shipyard, and then solidarity strikes started all over Poland. Thousands of workers are involved. When was this? Just last week. Huh. The place where it started, it's called the Lenin Shipyard. No shit. I can't get a handle on it. They seem to confound all the old categories, left and right, communism and capitalism. It's a genuine working-class rebellion, but against a socialist state. Leon, you bastard, you're right again. Leon? My name's Sean? No! Trotsky! He always said the greatest threat to the USSR was from its own workers. Get your things, let's go. Let's... Um, what? (laughs) To the Polish consulate. We'll pick it in solidarity with the strikers. Lev pulls a phone book from a shelf. He flips through, searching for the listing of the consulate. He finds it. Okay, 37th and Madison. We'll take the cross town. No, fuck it. We'll take a cab. Else, what's an endowment for? Sir, shouldn't we... Uh, shouldn't we... Shouldn't we what? Convene a symposium? What? No! Can't you feel that? What? The wheels of history turning. Son, this could be the most earth-shaking revolution since 1917. And if it's not, we waste an afternoon. But like I was saying, we don't even know if they're conservatives. For all we know, they might be communists. Who cares? They're fighting for freedom, aren't they? Hurry up, please. It's time. Hey, okay. (laughs) They march out of the office. Lev singing. Arise, ye prisoners of starvation. Arise, ye wretched of the earth. For justice thunders condemnation, a better world's in birth. End of play. Arise, ye workers from your slumber. Arise, ye prisoners of want. That's right. For reason in revolt now thunder, chains of hatred, greed, and fear. Ha <laughs> ha! Away with all your superstitions. This has been Three Scenes in the Life of a Trotskyist, written by me, Andy Boyd. This audio play was directed by Kim Kerfoot. Jeff Gonzalez played Lev. Brett Radke played Daniel. Yoni Bronstein played Ben. Freddie Fulton played David. And Ben Schrager played Lewis, Paul, and Sean. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed the play, please share it with your friends. The whole darn human race. So, comrades, come on, let's go rally. And
the last fight let us face 